In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I want to begin by acknowledging this morning the absence of our beloved Deacon Easter, who went to be with our Lord a week ago today. As I was reading the gospel, I was reminded that we will not hear in this life his wonderful, deep voice again. Rest eternal, grant unto him, O Lord, and let light perpetual shine upon him. A great multitude has followed Jesus. They're following him because they have seen what he has done, how he has healed the sick. The crowd follows him even as he goes up a mountain with his disciples. They trek up the mountainside seeking him. And it is, as we are told, about the time of the Passover, that great festival of Israel's exodus from bondage in Egypt the time when the Lord led his people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, led them through the wilderness to the mountain of God, the Mount of Revelation, where the Lord spoke to his people and gave them the law. This is another mountain, to be sure, but the place and the time prepare us for something momentous to happen. But our expectations are initially disappointed. Instead of thunders and lightnings, we are confronted with what seems to be a mere problem of logistics. Seeing the crowd that followed them, Jesus asks Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? It seems to be a question from the workaday world of business and commerce, a practical matter of procuring an adequate supply of product to meet market demand. St. John, however, alerts us that Jesus is after something more. He comments that Jesus asks this question not out of ignorance, but in order to prove Philip, that is, to test him, to try his strength, to question him as a master might use Socratic questioning to lead students to the truth. Philip, though, doesn't see this, of course. He takes the Lord's question on its face, and he answers that they simply don't have the cash. The resources just aren't there. He doesn't even have to do the math. The answer is so obvious. He says that not even 200 denarii, 200 days wages, uh, six months wages would not be sufficient to provide a few bites of food for each person in the crowd. In other words, he says, what Jesus asks is just impossible. They can't possibly feed this many people. And I wonder if there isn't even a hint of a patronizing tone in Philip's response, as if he can't believe that Jesus would ask such an obviously impractical question, but nevertheless patiently explains to Jesus the way things work. We call that kind of tone sometimes these days, mansplaining. I think that is maybe just what 
Philip is doing. You can imagine him thinking to himself, there he goes again, bless him, talking like he did when he went on the other day about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field or about turning the other cheek. They're beautiful sentiments, all right, but not at all realistic. It's like an exchange that takes place between Moses and the Lord in the wilderness. The Lord promises to give meat to the people of Israel so that they might eat meat for one month. But Moses protests. He says, the people among whom I am number 600,000, and thou hast said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month? Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? In other words, this is just impossible. Or again, it is as the psalmist has the people of Israel complain, can God set a table in the wilderness? True, he struck the rock, the waters gushed out and the gullies overflowed, but is he able to provide bread and give meat for his people? Like Israel, like Moses, Philip suffers from a failure of imagination. He can see only scarcity, only impossibility, only not enough. Another disciple, Andrew, is a bit more imaginative than Philip. Rather than dismissing Jesus' question out of hand, he takes the time to look around and take stock of what they have at hand. What he finds seems completely inadequate to the need, but he brings it to Jesus anyway. There is a lad here, he says, who has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? A few barley loaves and a couple pieces of dried fish would make a simple meal for one person, but of course, they could never feed a crowd of 5,000. Still, Andrew has been around Jesus long enough to imagine that he might be able to do something with even this little meal. Maybe he remembered what Jesus had said the other day about having food to eat that his disciples did not know about. Or maybe he remembered how Jesus had made water wine, or how he had healed the nobleman's son in Capernaum. At any rate, Andrew brings the barley loaves and dried fish to Jesus, trusting that he might be able to make something of them. And as Sam Wells says, in the hands of Jesus, these turn out to be more than enough. Jesus does what only Jesus can do. And he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets, with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above them, that had, the ones that they had eaten. 
Jesus asked his disciples, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? When he takes the bread and the fish and gives thanks and breaks them and distributes them, he answers his own question. He himself is the whence from which bread comes. He is the Lord who feeds his people. The Lord feeds the 5,000 now as he fed the hosts of Israel with manna in the wilderness. Feeds them as he did when, as the psalmist says, man did eat angels' food, for he sent them meat enough. Indeed, the Lord feeds them now, even as he always feeds all his creatures. For as Augustine puts it, who even now feeds the whole world, but the one who creates the crops from a few grains. In feeding the 5,000, the Lord Jesus shows himself to be the Lord of all, the one from whom all things come. The eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hands and fillest all things living with plenteousness. Christ is the whence from which bread comes. The bread that he gives, that he feeds the 5,000 with, it cannot be bought with money. It comes as a pure gift. It cannot be commodified. It cannot be traded. cannot be bought and sold. It cannot be earned. Christ lavishes it freely, without price, without regard to merit, and with such prodigal generosity that there are 12 baskets of leftovers. In this way, the feeding of the 5,000 points to the gospel of grace, which St. Paul speaks of in our epistle. This feast the Lord lavishes on the thousands shows the richness of God's mercy, his great love wherewith he loved us, his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus shows, as St. Paul says, that by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Augustine says that Christ's miracles have their own language, and this miracle speaks the language of grace. It speaks in the voice of the Lord who cries out through his prophet, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourself in fatness, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. The bread that Christ gives the thousands on the mountain points beyond itself to this more nourishing bread. It points to the bread of life, the bread of God, which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world.
It points, in short, to the Lord Jesus himself, who says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He gives himself to satisfy our deepest needs. Because of his great love for us, he gave himself that we might live. He offers himself for our nourishment. His body was broken so that without money and without price, we might buy and eat that which is true bread, that which truly satisfies, that which gives life that has no end. And now risen from the dead and seated in the heavenly places, he gives himself still for the life of the world. He nourishes us in the sacraments. He feeds us with the spiritual food of his most precious body and blood. He says, he who eats this my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. Are you hungry? If there's anything that this last year has shown us, it is that we are hungry. Deeply and fundamentally hungry. Hungry for that which only the Lord can give. So let us come to him. Let us come to Jesus. Let us come to the table of our most merciful Lord. Let us feed on him who gives himself for us that we might eat and live by him. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.